The Incomparable Podcast, number 93, June 2012. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This is another edition of our book club. And I have two participants, two brave, brave participants who are going to join me to discuss two novels by science fiction writer Paolo Basigalupi. I said it. Listen to me. Look, I said his name. Now, I learned how to pronounce Paolo Basigalupi's name because he wrote a book called The Wind-Up Girl, which was actually one shared the Hugo Award a couple of years back for best novel. And uh, I loved it and I voted for it. And it was excellent. Um, and he also wrote, uh, around the same time, a young adult novel called Shipbreaker, which won a whole lot of awards. Um, most uh, It was a finalist for the National Book Award. It won the Prince Award and the Locus Award, which is a sci-fi award for best young adult book. It is a very, very good book and has spawned a follow-up called The Drowned Cities, which was released, uh, I believe, last month, very recently. So it's a new release. So these are these are books in the same universe. They are not... Um, directly connected except for one character, which we'll get to. Uh, but I, I think Shipbreaker is uh, fantastic, and we have talked about it briefly on a couple of podcasts before. Scott McNulty, uh, who joins me here, it was the first person to mention this book to me, and he got me to read it, and he said great things about it. Uh, Scott, thanks for being here to talk about it a little bit more. Uh, I I say uh, his his last name as Bacigalupe. Bacigalupe, right. sure. I have no idea if it's right or Bacigalupe, not. Bacigalupe, Bacigalupe, Exactly. In my head, whenever I read it, that's how that's I, good. it sounds. I say Bacigalupe, but that's like fine. a kind of soup. B a c i g a l u p i. He's he's um, his extraction, I believe, may be Italian, but he is he is uh, he lives in Colorado. He's an American who lives in Colorado. Uh, and that other voice you heard was Serenity Caldwell, who uh, volunteered to read Shipbreaker and also to read The Drowned Cities, which she's in the midst of doing. So we will say goodbye to her before we talk about it so that she does not get spoiled. She can go read no it instead. spoiler horns for me. Yeah, no, the spoiler gonna... horn is your sign to dive. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will dive underneath the deep seas of my bed covers and read the rest of the book like a, a good – reader so so the author which now i'm scott's giving me a complex i'm going to call him basicalupi but whatever you can call him what you like call him bachucalupi go ahead hey. paolo um he, he is he is basically not just a sci-fi writer he's like an eco sci-fi writer mm-hmm. so he he writes these books that are about um they're, they're set in a world or or different worlds but they have something in common which is this uh the idea that we are living in an accelerated age and the point of peak oil is coming and at that point there's going to be an energy collapse and um, and bad things are going to happen to what we think of as modern industrialized society. And in The Wind-Up Girl, we see one version of that. And here we see, we see another where the United States has basically been uh, broken to bits by the loss of oil and in Shipbreaker, we meet uh, Naylor – and and uh, what Naylor, Naylor and and his team of people who are basically running salvage light crew tearing apart uh, ships and uh, for for their parts and their um, and their metal, which is not that far off from some things that happen in the real world when there are, there's a place in I want to say Bangladesh where they 
where they tear apart ships for their metal. And it's not that far off, but it's happening in the United States in a post, you know, almost apocalyptic, eco-apocalyptic United States. Um, not at, for a young adult book. This is not like a young boy's adventures with his dog and his paper route. This is, this is, um, this is dark stuff. This is a, this is kind of, the Diana Wynne Jones route of young adult, which I actually really appreciate where it just, it treats kids, you know, teenagers as we know you're not stupid. We know that you enjoy a well-crafted story just as much as an adult does. We're just going to take out some of the more violent aspects, but even this, even this book has uh, has its fair share of violence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's um you know it's a it's a tough world and there's violence and there's a a really bad father figure. Naylor's father is a very gives bad Darth guy. Vader a run for his money. <laughs> very <laughs> bad guy, and they're they're on the Gulf Coast basically, except that the the um, global warming because again eco writer the global warming has caused the seas to rise and so. Um, there's an Orleans two because <laughs> the New Orleans is completely gone, and, and uh, there are three Orleans, yes, aren't there? There are many. Ci- they don't call the third Orleans Orleans. There are many <laughs> cities that are drowned. Hmm. Oh. Perhaps we'll get back to that. But um, so I mean, this starts though. It's funny, and one of the things that I want to talk about about the uh, two books is which one is um which one is darker and I actually keep going back and forth on it. In this one, you've got these uh these kids are in these terrible conditions as scavengers and um and we meet when we meet Naylor, he almost dies, right? Because he's he's deep down in these narrow passages in the ship and he falls into a into a tank, into a gas tank and thinks he's going to die. Um, but he ends up being a smart, being smart enough to save himself, and you know, and and when he gets back to shore, it's not any better. This is just kind of a a chaotic environment where they're they're working for for almost nothing, and there's a you know there's a a, a, a company above them that is that is sort of far away, and and it, you know really it's like a forced labor camp almost. It's just incredibly poor, squalid conditions. Um, so you know it's that I think that's you know it's pretty rough stuff for something that's that's a young adult definitely i mean i I read a lot of really, really dark young adult books growing up, and I tend to prefer those and i I mean I feel like most avid readers tend to prefer something that's a little more complex and a little less black and white um and he i mean he does a really good job. I didn't really realize. Until the end of Shipbreaker, that this was actually meant to be a young adult book, uh, because the way that it was portrayed and the language that was used, I just kind of assumed, oh, it's, you know, it's just a book with younger characters. Um, And then when I was looking stuff up in advance of this podcast, I was like, oh, this was written specifically to be a young adult book. Okay, well, I, I get that. I think the best young adult books, though, are written like normal books. They just happen to star maybe slightly younger cast well and, there, and there's some you know there's some language limitations and, and, and there's well, yeah. the language is strong creative. and there isn't and there isn't uh there isn't sex and that that you know that those are the like sort of defining it's got to be kind of a pg but you can be really you know really dark around those two limitations scott do you have issues with when you read something young adult is it you know is it is it that big a deal or or does it does it matter? 
Well, I I generally do not like young adult books, mostly because I enjoy reading. Um, I sort of set you up there because I know how you feel I know, about you, young you adult don't, books. You, you know, I, I <laughs> generally despise young adult books, frankly, uh, mostly because I think that, as Ren said, they they tend to simplify things, and uh, I enjoy reading books that have complicated language and kind of multifaceted plots generally. And that's not to say I don't like a book with a quick plot that, you know, is straightforward. Um, cause I also read a lot of mysteries that generally are, you know, to figure out who killed somebody and that's it. But it's not like 14 different things are happening all at once. And at the end, it all comes together. Uh, that being said, I think that Shipbreaker uh, rises above the general crop of crappy young adult books in that it is well written. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, that it does. is a plus. Yes. <laughs> and so that keeps me engaged, even though the plot itself is fairly straightforward, and I have no problem with that. Uh, he manages to keep it uh, interesting enough and keep the pace very quick, which I appreciate. And there isn't kind of like... You know, the young adult, the kind of the tropes of the young adults, uh, the kid finds out he has special powers that, you know, nobody appreciates him, but then he's suddenly a wizard and everybody, it's great and he's going to save the world. <laughs> Nail- Nailer is not a wizard, by the way. No. no. We, should, we should clarify. <laughs> he's apparently quick. He's a kid. But... Yes. He's a kid. He's a talented, smart kid, but he's just a kid. I feel like I should give issues. you my, uh, my shelf of good young adult books, Scott, <laughs> well, because... <laughs> I may have missed so when I was a kid uh, I was trying to think uh, in preparation of this what young adult books I read because both Shipbreaker and The Drowned Cities are you know marketed as young adult and I was thinking to myself well A I don't know what age group young adult is but reading both of them I wouldn't think that young kids should really read them I I don't know but uh, young adult is usually at least the way that I've seen it marketed is age like 10 11 to age 17 it's a pretty wide range it's not for I'd say it's it's for kids in like the higher grades and then starting in middle school middle uh, school is usually the the starting cut because I mean most of the young adult books you know, you're talking about the tropes. You do get a little bit of the budding romance, but not necessarily full-fledged Stephanie Meyer Twilight craziness. <laughs> like, uh, so you you've got to be a certain, I think, a, of a certain age to appreciate that. But well, yeah. you know, YA is this new new-ish category. I mean, there was a, I remember when I first heard the concept, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. But you know, some writers don't write books that are um, you know that have a lot of language and have a lot of graphic sex and and um so it's interesting um that now there's this category that's sort of in the middle there and and yet a lot of y a stuff is also read by adults and good young adult fiction is perfectly good for adults right it's not you're not reading and this is the argument when you read Harry Potter, and I know that's a sore spot with Scott, who didn't oh, like Harry Potter, but those not. are books that have become successful not just because kids read them, but because adults read them. And, and you know, good good fiction in that slot is good fiction. And the problem is that I think there's some writers who then say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to target this and I'm going to dumb it down. Mm-hmm. And that's when it, I, I, I think maybe it breaks down. And, and in a previous podcast, Scott mentioned that Ian McDonald, who wrote a book that Scott and I thought was fantastic last year. Actually, I think we both voted or, or voted for it. My vote counted because I paid the money, and Scott's vote didn't count. But <laughs> it did not. for for best for best novel for the Hugo Awards, Ian McDonald's The Dervish House. You know, he that's a fantastic book, 
And um, he wrote a young adult book that Scott read and said was really bad because I, I and I worry that he just sort of said, well, it's young adult. I'm going to take my plot, my intricate plots and make them not intricate and simplify everything. And then it will be dumb, which is yeah, not definitely. what you want in a, in a good book, whether it's young adult or not, it shouldn't be dumb. I read through more or less the entire young adult section at both my local library and my local borders over a course of like five or six years. And that while there are some books that really stand out in my memory and some I'll probably bring up later on the podcast as they relate to Shipbreaker, there were definitely like there are slogs in in that in that category where you just run into very, very, like you run into somebody who wants to be Judy Bloom, except with magic or with, <laughs> you know, post-apocalyptic sci-fi. Uh, and it just doesn't, it doesn't work so well. But there were plenty, I mean, even, even something that was fairly widespread, like Animorphs, which was clearly, I mean, that was a, a big giant series um, that had its share and was written. I can't remember if that was written by a series of, of people or just one person, um, but it was, you know, it would have books where they would very clearly be, oh, well, we're actually, this is just about young people and young in situations and not really dumbed down language. And then there were other books in that series, which were just unbearable to read because you're looking at this and you're like, I feel like this was a writing assignment that I got in high or in, in like fifth grade where it's like, Bob and Jeremy are going oh. on an adventure. Mm, that's not good. <laughs> oh, bad writing. Bad writing, is, bad writing is bad. Well, you know, young adult, right. I suppose young adults have young adult protagonists. That's part of the deal. Although there are lots of perfectly good, fine, you know, high quality novels that, that have young adults as protagonists. And, and, and it, you know, we wouldn't look down upon them for doing that. It, it, I do think that there's a, right, like people are smelling money from, yeah. especially because of Harry Potter, right? And it's like, oh, geez, I got to get some mm -hmm. of that. And yeah. so you've got some people who are writing good books and some people who are trying to find a market for you know that by writing something targeted at the market that they think might make them a lot of money and i feel like when i was a young adult there was not a young adult genre well there were i, think, I mean there, there were things that were kind young of young adult books i, mean, I remember just... reading juvenile science fiction right which was like pulp stuff from the 50s i think more than mm -hmm. i mean they were like boys magazines but it wasn't like a juggernaut that it is now and that people are no it's very clearly labeled now in a way that it, i don't think it was it had, it had only really just started to go that way when i was growing up like there wasn't really even a young adult section in the bookstore until i was 16 or 17 i want to say they usually just kind of jumped lumped it in with fiction and it was like maybe a subcategory within fiction it was like people with young protag or books with young protagonists rather than young adult right Right, right. right. I, I mean, I would just end up in the sci-fi section and pick out a book and, you know, and and it's it's uh, the Split Infinity by Piers Anthony. And I'd read that and it's like, oh, God, there are people having sex in this book. I will read the next book now. Right. So it was, you know, that I, I think that's part of it, too, is this weird thing. I keep likening it to a PG rating. It's I, I that is some strange part of this young adult thing is it's it's a, a category where there's sort of an implied um, cleanness of content, which, you know, I, I as a parent, I appreciate that, but it's um, it's strange. And so you end up with books that, that are legitimately good books, and then you end up with books that are, that are not. And Shipbreaker, which is, again, what we're talking about, is a good book. It's, I mean, it's not, 
it didn't feel to me like it was a a watered down um wind up girl or something like that it feels like a legitimately good book well, it's about- a story yeah you know it just happens to have young protagonists as the lead characters, but it is a story. It is a story where adults exist and where some adults are very good and some adults are very scary. And there are shades of gray, whereas they might not otherwise be. Yeah, um, Chipbreaker actually reminds me of two books I read when I was growing up. Um, there was a uh, a book called The the Ear, the Eye, and the Arm, which I think won a Aldicott or a Newbury or something like that. Um, which was a sort of post-apocalyptic, um, or I guess not even post-apocalyptic, like future world where you get three people who are who are uh, not even guns for hire, but like detectives for hire, and they have to go find a a missing a missing privileged girl, uh, and then also a book by I think Garth Nix called Shades Children, which deals with kind of again the weird sci-fi post-apocalyptic, but also running from big bads and I, I got a very similar vibe from shipbreaker to both of those two books where it's it's a very dark world and you're talking you're putting basically relatively young children and even in shipbreaker there's a there's a mention about just how young you know Naylor is and how he doesn't really even recognize that fact just because he's like well you know you're either light crew or you're or you're heavy crew you can either Correct. be small enough to fit or you're not. And he's, he's just getting big enough that he's not going to be able to be like crew anymore. Exactly. We don't even find out these characters' ages until over halfway through that first book. I mean, he's quite literally coming of age. He's getting to the point where he is he is getting bigger. And, of course, there's a girl, right? There's a oh, pretty girl in there a, is a, pretty go- in a wrecked what? ship. And, there's one, <laughs> and, and you've got to have that moment where it's just like, ooh, I kind of like her. Something about her is different. <laughs> like, yes. I love Fun, how yes. they turn that on its head, though, because, I mean, they find her when presumably she's dead. They yes. think she's dead, and they try to cut off her fingers to mm-hmm. get her gold rings. To get her jewelry, and that's, yeah. Yeah, that's how they discover she's alive. It's a very, <laughs> it's turning on its head of it, the typical. It's not really your usual meet cute, yeah. No, not so much. Hi, you know, we fell in love. How, how did we fall in love? Oh, I was sawing off your fingers. <laughs> That's how I met my wife. Very so. bloody story. <laughs> Thank goodness she woke up. I know. <laughs> so she could keep her jewelry and you can... Exactly. <laughs> and I think that it was interesting. So one of the things I like about this setting is uh, he concentrates... Obviously, he wants to make a point about, you know, eco-friendliness and how the world is going to go to pot because yeah. we are short-term yeah, thinkers. Us. Yes. Exactly. But then he shows there's a clear, like, as you're reading it, you think, okay, everybody is just living in squalor. And then you realize, no, there's this whole other world of people that have these ships that have, like, parasails that can go fast and go all over the place and have advanced technology that right, the other the clipper people ships that span the oceans and exactly. are high tech i really want a clipper ship well and 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 the nita is is uh the child of these people who own these big companies that have this money she's she's the one that they meet uh when they're trying to cut off their fingers and <laughs> and she's like an heiress basically to a uh, and got, has gotten caught up in a in a plot among the rich people and so there and and was attacked but you know she's never known you know she in some ways which is funny she's kind of our proxy in the sense that she is from a world where 
there isn't the kind of squalor that is on the beach with the with the shipbreakers where you know where things are really miserable and awful and she has kind of no idea and 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 so she becomes our proxy except we're viewing it through the eyes of Naylor and we're looking at her thinking you know who is this person and then it's like oh it's us actually that's who she is she's <laughs> spoiled and has anything she wants and whereas he's incredibly poor and fighting for survival i actually really like how um I'm not going to try and pronounce the author's name. How Paulo um, <laughs> integrates. Bacigalope. Uh, yeah, How Mr. B. Mr. B. <laughs> uh. Yes. Um, but the eco integration into the story, it kind of snuck up on me where I'm reading this and I'm like, man, drowned cities and city killer. And you slowly start to realize, oh, this is, you know, this is the United States. Then you realize, oh, it's because of crude oil drilling. But it's never... It's never gone out and explicitly said, yes, humans, you are bad. You are destroying things. Beware, for there will come a day when all of this comes. You know, right. there's there are certain books. It's a matter that of fact. That. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, no, this is, you know, this is how it is. We're not going to jam it down your throat. And actually, it does a lot of, um, he writes a lot of stuff within this book in that sort of manner, which I really appreciate. It's so nice to, as a reader be able to actually discover things for yourself and not feel like the author is saying yes focus on this for it will be important in 50 pages from now feed <laughs> yeah and I, the one thing i hate more than young adult books are preachy books that are trying to tell teach me a lesson yes uh, overtly uh, and and so this book is is obviously it has a theme and he he is clearly a a an environmentalist but he's not saying, you know, the characters don't stop and say, gee, wouldn't it have been great if we had thought about this before this all happened? <laughs> Message to the past. Exactly. You're, you're destroying us. You're, you caused this. You caused us. No, that's impl it's implicit. And, and but he right. There isn't that moment where they turn to the camera basically and say, if only you had you had saved your oil and not. No, it's I mean. It really, his his whole um, deal here is to say, I'm, I've built it into the world. Once you accept that this world exists, you accept that we've completely squandered, you know, everything, and this is the remnant, sort of the the you know hollowed out remnant of our society after we run out of fuel. Right, and I just yeah. hope that I'm on the uh, high tech part, and I am not yeah. falling on the clipper ship. Exactly. Apparently, you want to go live in the Midwest. <laughs> That's right. So one another character. In this uh, in this story is uh, is a very sci-fi character. We've got these regular human beings who are struggling to get along, but that's not all. We are in a sci-fi novel, and we have Tool. The augmented Tool is an augment. He is a half man, as they call him, but he is a creation from human, dog, hyena, hyena tiger. tiger. Many other kinds of animal, and he is a he walks hamster. like a man, hamster, yes, right, mockingbird, uh, trout, yes, uh, mosquito, lemur, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's every animal, really. Um, he is he is a a he walks like a man, but he is a killing machine. He's he, he's smarter than people and much more dangerous than people, and they meet him. Uh, the our Naylor and and Nita meet him, and he becomes a uh, he becomes their sort of traveling companion and and helper. And 
what's funny about him is when he's introduced, he's sort of, you know, he's a monster. It's very much like the the sort of, uh, you you meet the monster and then you realize the monster may not be as bad as the people. <laughs> <laughs> And and Surprise! yeah 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 because because Naylor's father Richard Lopez is really really yeah. bad right He's He's as a side yeah as a side note I find it very interesting that all of the characters have real names up into a certain age where it's like all of Naylor's parents generation has real names but Naylor and all of his crew folk to a certain like of of or his most age. Of them, yeah. Yeah, they all have things like Naylor or, I mean, even Nita gets a lucky girl, you know. Right. And you they, don't get the sense that these are nicknames. You get the sense that these are actually, these are the names that they grew up with. Everybody's given I, up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like surnames are not important anymore. No. Um, actual inventive things are not important. <laughs> they've they've run out of names. They are not a non-renewable resource. It's so. post, yes, it's post-name apocalypse. It yeah. is. Oh, that's There's the no worst they, kind of apocalypse. They reached, America reached peak naming. And right. since then, it's all been downhill. The great Taylor shortage of 2012. Mm. Uh, no more vowels. So Tool is a really interesting character because, you know, he is – he does seem to be this uh, monster. Uh, he, I mean, he is a monster, right? And yet he is uh, – he helps them. <laughs> he's he's an honorable you, – you get the sense. I mean, you're told that he is not like other half-men. And in fact, when they go to Orleans and they're, they're like hiding in the water, trying not to be spotted, and then there's a, like a squat that they're in at one point um, – and the, and there are there are half men on the ship and 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 you know you get to see what the other monsters are like and they are completely uh, uh, subservient to their masters and then there's Tool who is he's like the rebel he's like the one who went wrong and he's a monster who's rebelling and that's good because that means he's not a monster he's more than a monster and it's just such a really interesting character. Um, that that just kind of drops in and then he you know he helps them out and they cling to the back of railroad cars as they travel along the countryside and he he sort of whips them into shape which is it's it's just a very interesting character yeah i mean he's a he's a pseudo parental figure um <laughs> wow they... what, what a parent <laughs> yeah tool i know right. um but actually the the whole idea of the augments and not having read uh, more than 100 pages of the second book. I'm really curious to see where that goes because Tool does cross over. He's the only character yeah, that crosses he, he's over. He's the books. crossover character. He's in both. Yeah. Much uh, more prominent he was in the too second cool book. to leave out of the second book, clearly. That's right. Kids, we can leave them by the wayside. Um, but he, like the, the whole concept of the augments and the idea of, yes, we're going to genetically alter these people, like combine humans with all of these various animal DNAs to create the ultimate bodyguard and then we're going to train them almost you know impress upon their minds that they may only have one master i'm really curious not knowing the end of drowned or the end of um drowned cities yes yeah. that's the second one yes um if we find out just why tool is very different from the other the other augments like why how he was able to break his conditioning because mm. i mean they say very clearly in the first book when they meet other other half men um you know it's impossible it's theoretically impossible for an augment to ever betray or walk away from their master because they're programmed to basically die of longing if the their master dies or you know 
goes yeah. away somewhere. I don't think it's explained other than he's not, you know, he's he's an error. He's not hooked up right. He he's supposed to behave like that and he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. He, I think that's further along the th- with his theme of, you know, that humankind fiddles around with things that it shouldn't and it expects the things to work like they think it does and then he doesn't. And so he's, you know, everyone's like, ooh, cool. Right, like the world. Exactly. You screwed up the augmented creatures, which is, I mean, that that is, this book could be just saying, well, you know, you kind of, you guys kind of screwed up the whole energy thing, and, and now we're reaping the rewards of that and global warming and all of these things. And yet he does have this whole other thing that gets thrown in, which is genetic engineering and after you, you spend almost as a side plot. Yeah, you spend some time life. thinking this is really about these kids who are tearing apart these ships and their terrible life on shore. And then they find this ship that's crashed, and there's a girl. They try to cut off her finger, but she's actually alive, so they can't cut off her finger. And yet, on the side, there's this. Oh, did we mention that there are also bioengineered monsters who are smarter than people who are used as soldiers? <laughs> that's also bad. <laughs> <laughs> no just good. throwing that in there that that also is a it's counter to nature kind of except he ends up being kind of more of a hero than um he does and, although there are plenty of scary half men in this book yeah there are really and, and i also like the we see i think much more than in the drowned cities actually we see the swells we see the uh the uh the rich people here where there's there's this corporate machination going on between the the people who are struggling for the control of uh, of Nita's com- it's a shipping company, family's right? company, right? Yeah. And, and 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 all that's going on, and that's fascinating because um, from the perspective of the poor kids on the beach, it's just like who cares, right? It's just like beyond, completely beyond them because politics. you guys are fighting over who gets more of this huge amount of money, and we are completely penniless and on the beach. And I feel like in in um, all of of Basikalupi's work that see I said it there I there I said it um we get this one of his tricks which I think is really effective is he takes situations that are you know this is about the future and it's about uh, ecology and and uh, and about the environment it's also about the present um and and his trick is that he's taking situations that happen now and turns them around to make them about as if they were happening to us and so he makes a point when he's talking about these poor kids that are getting beaten and threatened by gunfire and in both of these books um, and pointing out that it's black kids and Asian kids and white kids. They're blonde, you know, blonde kids that are that are working as slaves. And, 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 and he's really saying, you know, you guys are used to the poor people, you know, being in far off places and not looking like you. <laughs> and uh, in my stories they look like you they are you and and that's part of what he does so it, you know he's saying you know today we've got very poor parts of the world and then we've got very rich parts of the world that that are arguing about their first world problems right and that's exactly what happens in shipbreaker is that is that nita and her family have a lot of first world problems and the kids on the beach are like you know hello i'm i'm hoping to get food tonight well, yeah, I doubt that there are people, you know, they, any dock workers in South Korea really care about the Facebook IPO, right? Where it's, you know, it's like, no, I'm going to, you know, work for my daily bread and get enough money right. to feed my family. Uh, and, and the kids in Bangladesh that are disassembling ships are, are not, do not care about what's happening with the latest in computer technology, right? They no. don't, they don't care. They're, they're far away from that sort of thing. 
Yeah, so I, I think that's one of that's one of uh, uh, of his very effective sometimes tricks of of saying, you know, this is not happening in a far off land. Uh, this is happening here. Our our own world has disintegrated, and this is what it's like to live um, in a in a, a poor, miserable place. You know, that's, yeah, they're just bringing it more close to home. Right. That's a, that said. This is not a this is not a depressing kind of book. The setting is depressing, but it is a fun entertaining book about these smart kids doing what they can to survive and making some smart decisions in the end to out, to to beat uh beat the bad guys with the help of their you know monster um i don't know what he is mentor <laughs> he's a monster and a mentor monster. He, he's a monster <laughs> exactly oh, i wish i had a monster <laughs> i will meet him one day Scott, what I, I mean, I realize you and I both read this book a, a long time ago. It was in Scott book years. It was like two centuries ago. Yeah, yeah. Do you have anything else that sticks out for you about about Shipbreaker that we haven't uh, talked about? I love the end where they're smart enough that they they know the terrain of the bay that they're le- luring the ship into. And so, you know, there's that moment of like, wait for it, wait for it. There we because the kids know like where the rocks. Oh right. Well, not even rocks. Dead underwater buildings, oh, skyscrapers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, that's right. 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 Which is kind of kind of crazy. Although Ruins. I will say the one thing that flagged me about that ending was uh, Naylor's father is technically on the big bad enemy ship. Wouldn't he know about the big giant skyscraper teeth that? Naylor's leading in into, or maybe he's just not communicating no, I, with the captain. I th- I think Richard Lopez is like not a, um, he's kind of not a legitimate figure. He he doesn't really know all the stuff. Like he was always like a fixer, and he was on the beach, and I think he's not. Well, he was heavy crew for a while. I mean, I know he was also like a you know, fighter, but I I want to say uh, like he probably knew the area, could but be. at the same time, they do mention that that ship is a much bigger ship. Than the tiny ship, and I don't know. It was just one of those things where I was like, mm, "This is the only thing that detracts from being absolutely perfect." All right, but so absolutely perfect, you say. So, so I, I can I take this to, then that you you enjoyed your your reading of Shipbreaker. I did not expect to, but I really did. Um, well, I, I went. So into you re- it, you read um, it because it was going to be in the book club, and you're like, "All right, I'll read it." Oh, these jerks want me to read it. Scott said he liked it, but psh, you know, Scott. Exactly. I mean, I I've had sort of fifty fifty luck with the book club, where it was like I've started like Dervish House. I remember reading, I don't know, two hundred pages of, and being like, "I'm sure this book will eventually get really interesting, but it's just not oh. catching me." I know, I know, I'll finish it sometime. Oh, but, wait for you. Yeah, um, that's a sl- it is a slow build. Of, yeah, you know, five and I just stories. at that point I didn't have time to really like sit back and enjoy a thousand page book with a three hundred page slow build. Uh, but with this one, you know, the first couple chapters are slow, and I thought I I expected myself to get kind of impatient with it, but they build it so nicely. Like there are a lot of things that happen in this relatively short book, but none of them feel rushed. None of them feel um over long either it's a it's just a really nice balance um with a gigantic really well-formed world considering again the limited book space in which they had to explain it like all of the conflicts feel real 
the background of the beach, you know, the beach uh, folk feel real. Um, all the most of the characters are developed. Uh, even even the captains, like towards the end, feel sem- somewhat developed. He just has a, a a really fantastic knack for being able to shape and explain a world without you feeling like you're, you know, either too overwhelmed or underwhelmed by it and poking holes through it. So I yeah, I'm looking forward to reading Drowned Cities. Uh, I as I said, I started it. I just finished Shipbreaker like 30 minutes before the podcast uh, started finished. Um, so it's very recent. That's in my mind. true. Dan Morin almost Morin-esque oh, fashion yeah. <laughs> to finish. Hey, I only started reading Shipbreaker yesterday. So, you know, I got through it quick. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I read the first hundred pages of Drowned Cities in the half hour between finishing uh, Shipbreaker and waiting for this podcast to start. Because I'm like, this world is actually really interesting. And mm. I, I really want to like go back to it as soon as possible. Ha ha. (laughs) Told you so. I don't know. Yeah, I know. (laughs) No, I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm glad that you liked it. And I first heard about it from Scott who said that it was very good because we were talking about the wind up girl and he said, Oh, Shipbreaker is better than the wind up girl. And he liked the wind up girl, but it's true. I haven't read the wind up girl yet. So now I'm excited. Some people hate it (laughs) and some people love it. And I, 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 much to my surprise, while as I was reading it, I discovered that I loved it. So I voted for it over the city in the city by Mieville and uh, mm-hmm. they tied. So it didn't, I guess I'm the reason since I, my vote actually didn't count. <laughs> I'm the reason they tied because I, I thought it was, and I like the city in the city too, but, but the city in the city was very good. But the wind up girl just, you know, yeah, I thought it was really, I thought it was really good. And th- this is uh similarly, similarly good. I think it maybe is better, Scott. I mean, ah, it, it is see. a really good it's book. Good. And my wife is a, is a children's librarian and she's recommended it. Um, and she read it before I did, in fact, and she's recommended it to many, many people now, which I think is really cool to find somebody who doesn't read a lot of sci-fi, some, but not a lot, but has, you know, a, a, a conduit to young minds who want to read books and is saying Shipbreaker is, uh, you know, is a, is a highly recommended book. So that's good, too. I will take full credit for all of that. You should. You are molding young minds in California from far away in Philadelphia. You are... The monster. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yes. But Scott, I'm going to send you a list of really good young adult novels that I th- hope you will not hate. Um, so you can expand your, your reach of really cool ones. You should CC me on that. That w- I would love to see the list of... And I'll pass that on to, to Lauren, who can use more things to recommend in the children's library. So Yeah. I mean, they're all, they're all like five and ten year old... Uh, recommendations no, but that's but they're good. still on my yeah they're still on my shelf which books I don't go like. books don't go bad books no, are books are timeless especially when they're about apocalyptic futures that's true well some books do go bad we're not talking about this those don't get discussed <laughs> no. on this podcast so now because um ms caldwell has not yet read the rest of the drowned cities oh red 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 we are going to have to say goodbye to her we're going to put her in the soundproof booth or actually just you know maybe hang up yeah, I, I may go crawl into bed and read the rest and of them. And read the rest of them. Cities. And yes. so... Um, you two can talk. So yes, we thank you for your service and thanks for being on this uh, on this podcast. And uh, and we will say good... We will part ways and it's just going to be me and Scott the rest of the way. Ooh. This podcast is over. For you. <laughs> no, it's just begun. Good night. Good night. <laughs> good night. She's gone. I'm Scott, sad. you're the last one left again. 
I, I just am a, a winner. I'm a survivor. That's what I am. You are. And a monster. No. <laughs> and a monster. We made, a, we made up a new word, and you are it. Yes. So the Drowned Cities. The Drowned Cities. What did you think, Jason? As compared to uh, Shipbreakers, which one oh. did you like more? I like Shipbreaker better. I did as well. Which is not to say that the Drowned Cities was bad. I, I like the Drowned Cities. And one of the questions I had for you was, is, is the Drowned Cities darker than Shipbreaker? And, and, and I, the reason that I keep going back and forth on this is that in the Drowned Cities, the kids we meet at the beginning have a semi-stable life. I mean, mm-hmm. they lost their old life, but they like are working for this doctor in a village. And, you know, they've kind of got a system... Whereas the kids in Shipbreaker are just, you know, slaves and it's miserable. The difference is that that they have a nice kind of adventure that leads to meeting a rich girl who might save them. Whereas just terrible things happen to the kids in the Drowned Cities. (laughs) Terrible things. I I think that without a doubt, the Drowned Cities (laughs) is much darker than Shipbreaker. If if only because of the the number of times people say maggot. Uh, Maggot. It's 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 uh it, it's uh, well you can't swear in the young adult fiction so instead we get maggot true. every and and you 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 well you didn't ruin it I would have noticed anyway but when you pointed out they say maggot a lot as I was reading it I I started to notice that they say maggot a lot everybody's yeah. a maggot there are war maggots there maggot this everywhere. and maggot that Lots it's raining of maggots, maggots. <laughs> hallelujah <laughs> it's raining maggots and so it's why so the drowned cities uh. They're like child. The, a lot of the characters are child soldiers, basically, right? So that they yeah, they're are young. I mean, I think, and it's really easy young. to forget how young they are, and then they they eventually end up someplace where there are people like who are in their teens or twenties, and you realize, oh, geez, these these kids are like ten, twelve years old, right? And so the the teenagers are like the officers, the experienced people who yeah. actually get uniforms uh, instead of just uh, a. An automatic machine gun. Uh, no, it's and not even that. Rags. It's like a, a machete. Uh, oh, that's true. You have to and work a, your way and a up bottle to the gun. of acid. You start with a machete and a bottle, a bottle of, acid. of acid. See, there you go. If if you know any book that has ten year olds waging warfare with a machete and a bottle of acid is pretty dark. Pretty dark. Pretty, pretty dark. Pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we we meet um, Malia and Mouse, and uh, they are kids who are working for this doctor in this village. And um, uh, an army, a militia, uh, that's one of these groups that we, we realize we're, we're actually in the Potomac Basin, and this is around Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and these various militia groups are, are, are fighting this endless war with each other. And they, they come to their village because they've been chasing a monster through the jungle. And that monster, of course, is Tool, <gasps> half-man from... Spoiler previous alert. book, and yes. Spoiler at all, really. Yes, yes. The spoiler horn, by the way, has sounded for yes. the Drowned Cities. So flee if you have not read it and do not want to be spoiled. Um, so, so Tool, Tool's presence causes all this stuff to happen, basically. And Malia and Mouse watch their village get torched. Yes. <laughs> and the doctor is killed horribly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just awful things happen. And and then Mouse is taken in by Ugh. and recruited by this uh, so this militia. And so they're, they're turning him into another faceless killing machine soldier boy throughout, throughout this book. While Malia is... Um, 
talking to and arguing with Tool. Right, and Tool is like, well, let's just leave him. Let's leave. Let's run. We are, are outnumbered, and our only chance of getting out of this is if we leave him. Uh, and and there's know. no logic to stay, you know, it's because true. you're not going to be able to save him. And she insists. She does, and then I think it's very clever that she um, figures out Tool's kind of pack mentality because it's kind of been programmed into him because he's part dog. Uh, and she's like, well, he's a pack member. We need to save him. And Tool's like, well, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't decide whether that's Malia manipulating Tool or whether Tool is like almost like uh, uh, reading her feelings for him and saying, oh. And extrapolating. I, right. I, oh, he's like part of your pack. I Oh, that I understand. I'm not sure what. Which one it is, but it, it's it's effective, right? That that mm-hmm. suddenly he he is ready to leave and decides not to, and 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 she she tries to save his life so that he'll owe her, and he laughs it off and says, "I don't owe you anything," and yet he he ends up going with her anyway for his own reasons, and I you know s- such an interesting character because he is not he's not human and he does not behave like a human, but he has his own honor and his own kind of code and he's happy to rip people into into shreds but at the same time he's he's um he's like a weapon that has that is turned back on its creators and and he's now a like a a a tool of of uh of vengeance against those who created him that's true yeah and i i think it's uh he is probably the most fleshed out of the characters not that the other characters are like caricatures, I think uh, Paolo Bacigalupe does a great job of yeah. uh, getting a lot of characterization into all of his characters, and um, I think Tool and Mouse are probably my two favorite characters in this book, um, and which makes Mouse's story even more depressing for it's, me as it was it's happening. It's harrowing, right? That, that he is, you actually are seeing the steps that he goes through to sort of dehumanize him. And and there's a moment where he more mouse has this great success where he because he's not very valuable they basically throw him in the water and have him swim over to where there are snipers mm-hmm. figuring you know he'll get shot whatever he does it doesn't matter and he succeeds and like all the people who are with him die and he kills and then he kills a bunch of people <laughs> and his the coup de gras is that he calls in on the radio he's very smart right he calls yeah. in on the radio. Uh, the people who are firing the artillery and tells them to move it back a few hundred yards, which blows up their fellow soldiers instead of his soldiers. Who are um, also children. Right. And so so you're like, yay, uh, actually. Not, <laughs> Wait a second. Not yay. He's killed people and all of that. But that. So you're rooting for him and then you realize what you're doing, which is he is becoming increasingly one of these, like Ocho, who is one of the other characters who is sort of like mouse further along he's been mm-hmm. further dehumanized and malia gets a sense that ocho uh you know there are moments when he's like a human being and moments where he's like a completely inhuman killing machine and she doesn't really understand it um but, but now with with mouse's progression you see this is what happens is these kids are are sort of ground up and the ones who survive end up being they've seen all, all of these people die and they've come become completely dehumanized yeah it's fun it is it is an uplifting story it's a it's a romp so so and it's all said what's interesting and i read an interview with with paolo bacicalupi um 
where he was talking about the subject matter and how he he is not a non-political writer at all because he does have these environmental themes in his work but that he he said that as he was writing it he he found that he was much more overtly political than usual and you see it in setting it in Washington DC uh and having these different kind of militia groups that are like the army of god and the patriots and all these sorts of things right. and there are, there are several passages where he talks about how um all of this started with people who disagreed with the beliefs of other people saying they were traitors or not patriotic and it's clearly his his um take on our current events you know fractured political system where if you don't believe what i believe you are not you know you're not an american or you're against america or you're not a patriot and and uh you know which which so did you find that stuff to be having praised him for not being too preachy and shipbreaker did you find that stuff i mean that was a little more overtly like i'm sending you a message now yeah, it was it was kind of I think that was part of the reason why I didn't like this book as much as Shipbreaker uh because it was kind of more so than Shipbreaker wearing its lesson on its sleeve as it were. Um especially given like you said setting it in Washington making these t- two groups so kind of obviously mirroring what's happening uh now uh without trying to shade it at all really. Um, right, it's because it's the patriots against the army of God. So right. it's these two groups that are saying we're for goodness, right? <laughs> as they as they shell the hell out of each other and right. kill each other, and they don't, and nobody really knows why they're trying to kill each other. And the right. the other interesting thing, and the uh, climax is at the Capitol, right? Right, and so that that's not a message at all, is it? That no, they're in the Capitol building, not. and the Capitol building basically is blown up. <laughs> In the climax, which so it's all this time it hasn't really gotten hurt, but now, now yes, that it's the suddenly. climax of this book, it's the Capitol Dome's going to get smashed. It's a giant building that is clearly a target, but it survived. Yeah. Uh, and so the other thing that uh, was kind of a little heavy-handed is so the Chinese have uh, apparently survived the eco apocalypse uh, fairly well, and so they come into America to be like the peacekeepers, to be right? peacekeepers, and to teach people how to you know have a democracy and live civilized, uh, and uh, you know how they can instead of uh, fighting each other, they can farm and turn their you know they have all these motivational sayings and this literature and they paint propaganda to help people to right. stop and Malia, each other. Malia's father was a, a Chinese peacekeeper who who met her mother who is an American and uh and had her and then the Chinese pull out and she's right. left behind right she's left so. behind. and they they run to the docks right when they're leaving because clearly hey we're his family there's going right. to be room on the boats and which no. is so so clearly like a Vietnam kind of a parallel except that we're Vietnam in this scenario exactly and this is like yeah. what you were saying before he kind of twists uh what's uh he makes the and I imagine he's writing for a largely American audience, but uh, yeah. that could be wrong. So he kind of or Western audience, certainly. Westerns. Th- that's true. And so he he shifts your normal expectations of well, that doesn't happen to people in Western civilizations. Yeah, I mean, not to not to be too blunt about it, but I, I feel like one of the the tricks he does, and it can be very effective, is he's saying. And he uses this. He says this this person has red hair and this person was blonde with pale skin. And what he's mm-hmm. saying is he's telling a story essentially about um, 
about what has happened recently, in fact, in Africa, especially, where there are militias with children mm-hmm. yeah. and they do and, and, and horrible things happen and these children are, are kind of dehumanized as they live through these horrible, violent spurts in, 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 in especially in Africa. Um, and so he tells that same story, except he, he makes a point of saying, you know, these are white kids and, and, and black kids and Asian kids, and they, they look like Americans. And, and, you know, what he's saying is, imagine, imagine how horrible this would be if it happened to you. Now imagine the fact that it is happening. happening yeah. Today. And, oh, by the way, it's in Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it hits home. But he's also – so he's making that, that statement about, you know, your, your environment, your culture could be destroyed by your actions. But I, I'm interested in the fact that he's also making a side statement, which is, um, you know, you can ignore the violence or have it be remote in some place like Africa. But um, you can't – uh, it's harder to do that when when I when I make you think of it in the context of a bunch of little American kids who are who have a machete and a and a vat of acid and are and you know are chopping off limbs and indiscriminately killing people. So yeah, it's kind of dark, but <laughs> but I think really effective in that way of 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 saying you know these are horrible things. They're not the, the horrible things that happen in this book are not things that haven't happened in the world. It's they just true. haven't happened in the future in America. So, you know, it makes it that all the more horrible, I guess, to see, you know, to look at these characters and say, these are our, these are us. And, and, and we don't have, you know, it's funny. I mean, logically, of course, this is not true, but, you know, one of the nice things about science fiction is, is he can use that device to say, look, you're, you as an American are used to seeing the poor people in these terrible places with this terrible violence as having different color skin and different looking faces and being able to sort of like um, just say, well, that sort of thing doesn't happen to people like us. Right. And what Bastian Kalupi says in both of these books is, yeah, you're, you want to bet? <laughs> how do you, how do you, how would it feel if it did happen to people who looked like you, who were mm-hmm. you? How, then how horrible would this be? And that's that is one of these things that he does. And, it, and the answer is it's it's really really horrible. <laughs> Spoiler is, alert! Not cool. <laughs> it is it is terrible. Now, so Tool meanwhile takes Malia and on like on his back and breathes air into her mouth, and right. they they go into the heart of the drowned cities, and the, and the, and then the climax there in the the basement of the Capitol, basically, mm-hmm. and. He gets he he gets free because he was captured. By the way, pro tip: do not take the captured half man <laughs> to your lair and hope he doesn't get out. Yeah, and taunt him a little while, and then just assume. and have the guy with the keys get a little too close to him. Exactly, it's not it's a, a good bad, plan. It's a bad idea because what happens is he gets out and he like literally kills. Just by tearing, shooting, or tearing them limb from limb, every major senior figure in this one militia. He just—they're all dead. They're all in the dead end, for- it's 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 Malia and Ocho and Tool. I think so. In the basement with dead people all around them. Wow, yeah. it's uh pretty dark. Oh, and I didn't even mention the fact that um Malia's mother has apparently squirreled away or stolen like Ugh. all of the key artifacts of like the constitution you know from the national archives she's basically taken 
all valuable artifacts and hidden them in like a secret room in her apartment building. And once again, playing with that whole idea of there's kind of two civilizations here. One, people living in the drowned city with, uh, you know, children soldiers killing each other and crazy militias fighting over inch by inch over a city that's basically ruined and worthless. Yeah. Uh, and then you have like business people from China coming by to purchase uh, the artifacts, the, the artifacts exactly that are, are yeah. laying around because they want to save them uh, uh, from this this war torn place. And this is right. This actually happens in the real world, right? Yeah, so, right, right. That that people from the, the the rich countries come to the poor countries and exploit them, and exactly. and occasionally the UN sends peacekeeping forces, right, or mm-hmm. NATO, and that's what the uh, and. You know, as Americans, we're always the ones who are sent to those places. And so, again, just like with the Vietnam parallel, that parallel of being the place where the peacekeepers are sent and they're condescending and they're like, you people are savages. Why don't you why do you do this? Why do you fight when you could be cultured and have a democracy and all of these things? And and he just turns it he just turns it all around. Oh. Yeah. So did you get did you get what the Drowned City stands for? Did I get what the Drowned City stand for? It's D.C. Oh, I did not make that connection. Ha-ha! I was very proud of myself when I realized that Drowned Cities means D.C. Hmm. It's Washington, D.C., the Drowned Cities. I did not pick up that at all. That's Ha-ha. very clever. Two points for you, Jason. Yes. Oh. Yes, finally. I'm <laughs> off my, my drought. I was at zero points for a very long time. It's true. Um, but I, so, so, and, and Tool in this book is, is, he has more to do. He does. He has a lot more to do. And, and he was an interesting character in, in Shipbreaker, but in Drowned Cities, he is, um, fascinating because you get, you get more to Ren's question about what do we learn about him? I don't think we learn his origin story. That's still kind of a mystery other than the fact that he's just sort of, um, didn't behave like other <laughs> like he, his, he's just not like the other monsters yeah his, his his pack died and he should have just died with them and he decided he didn't care and he would just be his own guy but so, such a fascinating character because he is even though he is a monster he is he is uh above us in many ways i love that that he is more not just stronger but more intelligent and he's built for war Right. And he his priorities are very different and his morality is very different. But he does have a morality and he is incredibly intelligent. And it's just such a great character to see, you know, he's almost like an alien being in a way where he's he's except that he's not above us like so many aliens are portrayed as being kind of like these ethereal beings that are above us. He is a he's a killing machine, but yet also is has all these other traits that are so much better than the people we see it's just it's a he's a really interesting character it's true and i think he says at one point uh that what he does is he survives like he goes and he's been in all these different battlefields he's killed people on every continent yeah right the main thing that he has learned is that he survives no matter what battle he goes into he is going to survive and that's kind of how he frames his his whole view outlook on life he does what he needs to do to survive and that I think is kind of how he kind of overrides his genetic programming somehow because he want he needs to survive. He's not just going to lay down and die like the rest of them, like they think he should. Right. And when we meet him, right, he's been bitten by a gigantic <laughs> crocodile and his arm's almost fallen off and he's he only has the one eye. Mm-hmm. And uh but he 
he makes it. He survives. It's hard. He's hard to kill. He is hard to kill. That's an enormous half man, half tiger, hyena, dog, monster guy. My you would, bird. Yeah, you you might expect that he'd be difficult to kill. He's very hard to kill. This is true. But anyway, he that was a really that was a really good character too. It was nice to see more of him and get a little more sense. I would like to see him again. In well, fact, maybe uh, the next book will just be all about Tool. The Adventures of Tool. That's right. Yeah, it could be. Probably not, but maybe. Who knows? It could be. Uh, so, so in general, though, thumbs up for Drowned Cities. Yeah, I would think if if you liked uh, Shipbreaker, you'll like the Drowned Cities. I don't know if you necessarily have to read. I mean, you don't. They don't continue the same story. No, Tool they don't. Crosses over, so they stand alone. You don't have to read one or the other. If you I think only the implication. Have time, I think the implication is that is that Drowned Cities comes after Shipbreaker, but even yeah. that it's not it's not a hundred percent. I mean, I don't right? think Tool never mentions uh, yeah. any of what he's done in the previous book. So, right. If you had to choose, if you only have time for one of them, I would think you should show a Shipbreaker. Yeah, uh, but they're really quick reads, and they're yeah. they're both well done. So, I would say thumbs up. Yeah, they don't feel dumbed down. I mean, to, to yeah. get back to our point about YA books in general, they, they, this is not a this is not a dumbed down book. It, just because I mean, there isn't there isn't bad language, just maggots. It's true. Maggot. If, you, if you're offended by the word maggot, don't <laughs> read the Drowned Cities. There's lots of maggots. It's but, true. There's a lot of maggots all over the place. But it, it's so funny to me that uh, so young adult fiction, you know, don't swear and don't have sex, but it's okay to have. Kids gutting down kids and have really violent Horrible, scenes. violent things, yeah. And really twisted, like, psychological things going on. That's okay, but hey, don't swear. Yeah. Wouldn't want the kids to get the wrong idea. <laughs> I know, I know, it, it, it's very strange. It's a very strange set of priorities, because it is, it is so, I mean, these are kids in with machetes hacking off the arms of other kids right. and throwing acid in each other's faces you know yeah. this is not it's just horrible yeah it's not but like... they don't swear they just say maggot exactly so it's okay so it's all right and they don't have sex except for the except well there actually is a sex scene in the drowned cities i guess we should say because that when they they get nailer high slash drunk on stuff as oh, his initiation true. or not nailer uh mouse yep. as his initiation into being the faceless member of a militia and that uh, that reminds me, the kind of the the really chilling point for me is when Mouse starts at some point. So the the kids uh, in the militia, they they kind of basically Shanghai Mouse, and he becomes a soldier, right? And, and they, they give him a name, a new name, right? Ghost is his new name. And at some point during the narrative, uh, Paolo stops calling, and Mouse himself stops thinking of himself as Mouse and thinks of himself as Ghost. Yeah. And at that point, you're like, oh boy. Yeah. That's after they they get him they get him high and they throw him into the whorehouse basically the nail yep. shed with mm-hmm. the nail shed girls and uh, when he wakes up the next day it's like ghost woke up exactly <laughs> I thought that was very effective yeah yeah and it's terrible uh, you know it's a it's his his uh, adventure is not a a happy one and he has a little he has a nice moment at the end but it's not yeah. that nice <laughs> no that's not true and I mean I'm not a, a, a prude and I don't think that kids need to be sheltered but I, as i was reading this i thought to myself is this really a young adult book i mean it seems very extreme uh for a lot of the the violence seems a little like if i had i'd say it's a high school level kind yeah, of yeah i guess that's true because you know you're but uh, my like, daughter i wouldn't have my daughter read it at 10 there's no way 
Yeah. But but for a high school kind of audience, I think you know. And I was reading stuff that was again probably inappropriate for, <laughs> or or at least would be considered inappropriate for my age. But it was fine. I you know it was fine. Read that Pierce Anthony and go, well, okay, so there's sex in this book. All right. I don't know anything about that. I'm only 15, but I'm going to read it. Uh, you know, which might be warping in its own way if Pierce well, Anthony is teaching you about. You know, well, that is. <laughs> woo, talking about dark. Not a good thing, but but uh, but yeah, it, this is yeah, this is a, like a high school level kind of. Yeah, and kind I, mean, of I don't think it was. It, there was nothing that offended me, or no. it wasn't like a vile. It was a. It's a good book. Oh. I was just reading it. Because the the thing about young adult fiction that throws me is that word young. So I never know how young people are who are supposed to be reading this. I think Ren said it's sort of like it's sort of like twelve to seventeen or ten to seventeen, and I mean it's a broad broad spectrum and i feel like my daughter is is creeping toward being able to read some of it but it would be on the lower you know the 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 younger end of that and it, that is a broad range and at the high end you've got things that are you know in some ways just you know adult essentially adult but without you know hardcore kind of sex and and language stuff right. which is you know fine i mean i i who's to say that this book wouldn't have been this book regardless and that it's just both of these books uh, are la- able to be labeled as YA because they are what they are, right? You know, or or that that Paulo Basaglupi is just not he doesn't feel the need to have you know rough language and sex in every book that he writes. I mean, the Wind Up Girl's got more sex and it's got more rough language, but he's not. There's some writers that I think if you take that stuff away from them, they would have a hard time, mm-hmm. and that he doesn't strike me as being a writer like that. So maybe he's his writing is appropriate for the this format. Right, and I think like Ren said, she didn't even realize that Shipbreaker was a young adult book until yeah. she looked that's it up. A, isn't that a good sign? <laughs> that is a good sign, and I think that that's very true. I don't. Yeah. It doesn't feel like he set out to kind of right, cash ki- in on the young hey, adult kids, trend. Here's a book, kids. <laughs> it's not like that. You're gonna like it, then you'll buy the action figure. So um, before we go, I wanted to ask, even though it's just you and me, I wanted to ask, what are you reading, Scott? Uh, oddly enough, I just finished a book that I was reading um, today, so I'm not. Well, it's not that odd anything. that you would finish a book that you were reading. Well, that's it? that's no. Well, I guess not. Uh, so the uh, the book I just finished was the Ionia Sanction, which is a a, a mystery set in ancient Greece uh, about ah. this this character who is an agent. Uh, and he looks into this this mystery about this this guy who is a representative of another city in Athens, and he dies mysteriously, and so he has to. So go it's off. A, it's a detective novel set in ancient Greece. It is, in fact, that's crazy. That's great. And there's another series of books that I'm reading that is a detective series set in ancient Rome. So it was an interesting. Uh, wow. There's a whole subgenre of. Uh, Ancient historical detective hi- historical detectives in ancient in the ancient, ancient. world huh is there like a is there a caveman detective series there there probably is it's probably it's less intricately plotted yes. i would assume but the ugh chronicles <laughs> exactly it's a it's a gold mine and and I, how about yourself jason Are i, you I am ahead? currently reading Leviathan Wakes, oh? which is one of the Hugo nominees, and we are going to do, I believe, our next book club is going to be the the Hugo novel nominees in a few weeks. Um, once everybody gets a chance to read some of them, I think mm-hmm. we've all read some of them because we've actually done a podcast about two of them 
That's true. Embassy Town and A Dance with Dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I have not, I've yet to read Deadline, which is the sequel to Feed. Oh, I read which that. You, which you have read. Mm-hmm. Say no. Don't spoil me, Scott, any more than you already have. I want to go in fresh because I am right. going to read it. The only reason I would read it is if it got nominated for a Hugo, and it did, so <sighs> I'm going to read it. I am dreading the third one getting nominated. Um, and what, uh, God, what was the other? Oh, and among others by Joe Walton, which has got to be the leader in the clubhouse. I mean, oh. that that is such, which one, we should say Joe Walton's book, among others, which we praised on previous podcasts, won the Nebula Award, which is voted on not by fans who nominate terrible books like Feed, Bastards. but by the Science Fiction Writers Association of America. So it's the Science Fiction Writers uh, themselves nominating their peers, and Joe Walton's book, among others, won the Nebula Award for Best Novel. And I, I heartily endorse the Nebula Awards because that that was a great choice. And I, I figure I'm probably going to vote for Among Others for the Hugo because such a great book. Uh, I having read all of the Hugo, I don't want to ruin anything, but it, it, Among Others is the best. Of yeah, the that's the best one. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm reading Leviathan Wakes, which is also funny in that it is a, it is a sort of. On one level, it's a kind of space opera-y kind of, you know, man is spread throughout the solar system and there are people on all the different systems. Um, but it, too, has one of its interlocking stories is really a detective story about it's a true. cop who's on the, you know, he's a cop on the beat and he's given a bum assignment. To, it's about a girl who's missing and mm-hmm. his his lieutenant tells him to drop it, but he can't drop it. I mean, it's all these great <laughs> detective noirish kind of tropes. It's true. Except it's happening in an asteroid <laughs> <laughs> and there's a war happening and there's mysterious ships that are blowing mm-hmm. up other ships. And I'm only about halfway through it, but I'm enjoying that a lot. That's, um, and because I, I, I registered for the, um, for the Hugo Awards, I um I got the I got that novel as a as a PDF as part of my packet as a voter and so I've just been reading it on my iPad and in, in the PDF which has been very very pretty and the sequel been, the sequel just came out if you, oh there's uh, a sequel it. I didn't mm-hmm. even know well I hope I I hope I continue to like it because then I'll then I'll read the sequel but uh, I'm enjoying it so far so that's what I'm reading is Leviathan Wakes and before that I read the Drowned Cities which ah. we talked about well before I'm just trying to keep up before the the book that I mentioned I read View from the Imperium. Which is uh, like a space opera parody, basically, I suppose. Oh, and I have a book on my Kindle now that I I should mention that it was on sale and it may even still be on sale. I don't know. But you you said on Twitter that if you enjoy smart space opera, you should get Son of Sons. Yes. By Carl Schroeder, which I bought. I hope you enjoy it. All right. Well, Scott, I feel like we've uh, we've covered the world, the depressing future <laughs> d- destruction world of Paolo Basicalupi. Yeah, I think I form. think uh, I, I'm a little worried about him. I think he needs to to lighten up because. Uh, Have you seen his Twitter account? His, the wind his, up girl. His Not... icon is a is a Mexican wrestler mask. I did see so that. So maybe that is maybe it's it's fun. Yeah, it's kind of fun. True. But I, I read his. I, I should say I read his short story collection, Pump Six, which mm-hmm. is also good. But again really depressing uh-huh because it's the same stuff it is yeah. the it is the terrible you know eco catastrophe <laughs> peak oil yeah exactly Sad. so i will close up the uh the book club for this time and thank serenity caldwell who has left us cuz she didn't read she's right now reading the drowned cities and uh and learning about about the psychology of half man tool um, and and Scott McNulty, thank you so much for being here and, and reading both books and turning me on to Shipbreaker in the first place. You're welcome. I take all the credit for uh, any good book you've ever read. Sure. And I'm glad that we got to 
got to the Drowned Cities before you'd forgotten what was in it. Uh, that uh, I am also glad that because uh, I read. What happens is I read we, so much. We decide on a book that we're going to talk about, so I think I have to read this immediately. And then not thinking, oh, it's probably going to be like a month or two before we actually talk about <laughs> right, it. Because everybody else has to read it, too. Exactly. Yeah. And then I forget everything. Right. So you, so we got it this time. We did. I've only read two books since I read <laughs> The Drowned Cities. So. And, and I should say, for the, those people out there who want to join the, uh, the Incomparable uh, Book Club, you can find us on Goodreads. We are, right. on, we are on the good, Goodreads. And um, our next book club selection is going to be the Hugo nominees. So if you search for Hugo uh, 2012, uh, I believe you will find the Hugo nominees. But, um, you know, as we said, they are A Dance with Dragons by George R.R. R. Martin, um, among others by Joe Walton, uh, both of which we've talked about a little bit, Embassy Town by China Mieville, which we had a whole podcast about that you can go listen to if you like, and the two uh, that I have not yet read, Leviathan Wakes, which I'm reading now, um, which is by James S. A. Corey, which is not a real person, not a real person, and and Deadline, which is by Mira Grant, also not, not a, a real, real person. person. It's true, and that's the sequel to Feed. And I'm just saying, for those of you who hate us beating up on Feed, <laughs> I'm sorry. For those of us who love who love to hear uh, the beating up on Feed, we're gonna read the sequel, and then we're gonna talk about it. So it's very exciting. True. I, I won't say I, I, what I thought about the sequel. No, no, I don't save want to it. Spoil it. No, I'm sure you loved it. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> Liar! <laughs> Liar! All right. Until that uh, that forthcoming in a few weeks Hugo uh, special book club. Uh, this is Jason Snell for the Incomparable. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning into our book club and making Scott and I feel less lonely. Aww. Good night. Aww.